Amen. We welcome you to our Sunday morning Bible study class. Amen. We're going to uh, begin in prayer, and uh, then we got some great things to talk to you about from Scripture. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be in your house today. What a privilege it is to come into your house, to gather in your name with our brothers and sisters of like precious faith, and to look into the Word of God. We ask you, Lord, that you would be with us this morning, that you would bless our time together that your anointing and your presence would be here, and that our hearts and minds would be changed by our encounter with you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated, and thank you for standing. Well, we welcome you to our one day of winter in Florida. <laughs> Hopefully everybody broke out their coats that you get to wear sparingly living down here in the space coast of central Florida, but... Uh, it's kind of exciting to, to get a little bit of cold weather once in a while and remind our friends up north that it does get winter sometimes in Florida. Only we don't fight, you know, sleet and ice and snow. And, and, uh, but uh, it's great to have all of you out here uh, this morning and chance to uh, look into the uh, Word of God. Pray that you would uh, help us to pray for uh, Bishop Myers, who's uh, feeling a little under the weather this morning. Pray that God would uh, just continue to give him strength and, uh, and to help him. And uh, we're going to turn your attention to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Chapter 7, and we want to start reading in verse 15. Amen. Dr. Myers was uh, released from the rehab center, so she is home now. And uh, she's doing much better. So thank you for those of you that have been praying and visiting her. I know it meant a lot, and uh, they're doing, doing much better. Matthew chapter 7, and we want to start reading in verse 15. I want to talk to you this morning. This is the first of the year, as you well know. And we want to talk to you today about something called lordship. Lordship. It's so important in life. And of course, whenever we serve God, this is, I think, paramount to all of our uh, daily habits and routines that we consistently put the Lord first in our life. Uh, prioritizing is something that's not done automatically. It's something that we have to make a conscious decision about on a daily basis. What is going to be the focal point of this day? Um, what is going to be my highest priority of this day? If we don't do that, the flesh has a way of just sort of uh, defaulting back into the path of least resistance. It's been said before, and I think it's an accurate statement, that... Um, Let's see if I can get my arms around it. That uh, many a, a river, a crook, a many a crooked river and crooked man was designed by the path of least resistance. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, rivers become crooked just because they take the path of least resistance. And oftentimes in our own flesh, if we just always take the path of least resistance, then we end up making wrong choices, wrong decisions, and, and are not people of integrity. So it requires us being intentional about saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to live my life. And as Christians, when we talk about lordship, we're talking about putting the Lord first and foremost uh, in everything that we do. Let's read some scriptures to lay a foundation for this. We're, we're looking in Matthew chapter 7, and we want to start reading in verse uh, 15. Matthew uh, chapter 7. 
And let's start reading verse 15, and we'll read uh, down through 23. Of course, this is the, the Lord speaking. He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are uh, ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Verse 21. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And those are some pretty powerful words, because the scripture is saying that even though you may do wonderful works, and even though you may have used the name of God for uh, miraculous, powerful works, which I think, on a side note, shows us how much power is in the name of God and in the name of Jesus, even when we are not necessarily living as we should, there's still power in the name of Jesus. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know how this guy, you know, does this and that and on television, evangelists and blah, blah, blah. The power is in the name and the power is in the faith of the people to believe. And so a lot of times it's not necessarily the individual who uh, is necessarily living right or doing right that God is favoring, but it is the principles of God's word. God honors when we pray in the name of Jesus. God honors when two or three come together and believe in his name. So these are principles that are, uh, that are at work. But here's what I think is so important about these scriptures. These scriptures indicate to us that there's a warning that we have to not just say Lord, but we have to actually live our life as the Lord being the Lord of our life. And what does all that mean? Well, he gives sort of some scriptures to introduce this to say, you know, beware of false prophets because, you know, you're not, all, not everybody is, is what they appear to be. They may look like they're in sheep's clothing, but they come as ravening wolves and, and so forth. And he says, you know, if you've got a corrupt tree, it can't put forth good fruit. You know, in other words, you bear kind based upon who you are or what you are. So if a person has uh, uh, intentions that may be good intentions, but they're doing the wrong activities, then it's not necessarily of the will of God. So when, when these scriptures were laid out to us, it was for the principle where the Lord was trying to tell his followers that you must understand the principles, or if we can say it this way, the laws of lordship. If you can understand the laws of lordship, and I think it's important to cover some of these things 
the fact that we're at the very beginning of the year because I believe there's certain things that you want to set in motion at the very beginning of the year. You know, one of the things that we see a lot of times that people talk about at the beginning of the year is, you know, I'm going to lose weight this year. You know, I'm going to lose 20 pounds or 40 pounds or, and you know, all of the, uh, the fitness uh, places, they all have a lot of business in January and, uh, you know, back whenever I was doing better than I am now at, at working out and treadmilling and all that, I remember them saying, everybody starts in January and by the end of January, about 70% of the people have fallen off. This was a good idea, but it was a whole lot more work than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so after about three or four weeks, you know, people sort of go back to uh, the this, this status quo. But when, when we talk about the first of the year setting priorities, I think it's important to set priorities, especially as it relates to spiritual pursuits. And this is one reason why today we're starting a prayer revival, because we want to give the Lord the very first part of our year. We want to dedicate ourselves to the Lord, and then we want to put something in place that we can live with. You know, if you're not praying at all, and then you say, you know what, I'm going to start praying four hours a day. Chances are that may last one day or two days, and then you'll modify it, and you'll be like, well, maybe three, maybe two. You want to be able to get something that you can live with, that you can sustain over an extended period of time. And the one thing that has to happen for us all, it doesn't matter if it's a spiritual discipline or a physical discipline or a mental discipline or an emotional discipline, one of the things that you and I have to do at the very beginning is that you have to desire it enough to make it a priority. If it's something where you say, you know, I'd just like for it to happen, but I'd like for it to happen sort of by osmosis while I'm asleep. I can just wake up in the morning and be more spiritual than I was yesterday. You know, if it's that sort of a naivety in our thinking, then we'll never actually get there. So you have to hurt enough or desire enough or want it enough to say, I'm willing to put into place the necessary things to, uh, to, to make a difference. And so when we do that, just like from a physical standpoint, there are certain things that we have to lay aside. And I think that's something I want to talk. Let me read one more scripture to you uh, in your hearing, and then uh, we'll get into some of these laws of lordship. The, the, the one scripture I wanted to read to you comes to us from the, the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 12 and verse 1. It says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So at the first of the year, as it relates to spiritual pursuits, there's also a laying aside of a lot of things that beset us. Putting aside some things that, that have a way of just burdening us. Uh, traveling light, as it were. Uh, putting yourself in a position where your journey is not such an arduous struggle on a daily basis. How do we do that? There's some things you have to just put in the Lord's hands. And this is part of lordship. And that is saying, God, I've been worried about this. I've been fretting over this. But I'm going to just make up my mind this year. I'm going to put that, whatever that situation is, I'm going to put it in the Lord's hands. And I'm going to say, God, I want you to be in charge of every aspect of my life. 
That's what lordship is. What we oftentimes do in our humanity, and even as Christians, even as Jesus' name apostolic believers, is that we try to help God help us. And the way that we do that is we say, Lord, now we know you're sovereign, we know you're in charge of it all, but let me help you do this or that, and I can work in this particular area. And when we do and we don't get the right result, we get frustrated and we get anxious. And sometimes we even get upset with God. And we'll say, now, Lord, I was working on this. I'm a good, faithful member of First Pentecostal Church, and I pay my tithe, and I come to church, and I come to Bible study on Sunday morning, and this situation is not getting any better. It's getting worse. We've all felt that way before. What you have to do is back up and say, okay, wait a second. Here's what I need to remind myself of. God is in charge of every aspect of my life, not just those situations that are out of my control. He has to also be in charge of the things that are in my control and in your control. And those are sometimes the toughest areas to give over to God. You know why? Because those are the areas that you have options in. The things that are out of your control, it's an easy decision to give it over to God because you have no control over it. You know, you, you, you don't, you know, lay awake at night thinking, you know, at least I hope you don't. I don't know if I'm going to live or die in the morning. I mean, you go to bed at night, and we all expect to wake up tomorrow. And when we get up, we're like, great, this is another day. Praise be to God. We, we know it's not in our control. Now, obviously, if you, you're worrying about that, then it's going to be an anxious night, and it's going to be lack of sleep. And obviously, that's something that people do fight with, but there are certain things that are just a given. I don't think we worry about if the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I don't think we worry about things that are out of our control to that degree. But there are things that are in our control. And those are the difficult areas when it comes to the test of lordship. Am I willing to put this situation in God's hands even though I feel like that if I just maneuvered this or that or brought about this result or that result, I could come to, a, a, and here's where the issue, here's where the rub always is, a quicker solution. I know God's got it, but I also know he works really slow. So <laughs> this is how we are in our humanity. So I'm going to help God to get through these different situations. Those are the, those are the conditions where you have to back up and say, Lord, now, I know I could get in this and muddy the waters, but God, I'm going to trust in your sovereignty. Now, let's establish some lordship laws, if we can say that, as we move into this. When we really examine what lordship is, there are five things that I want to give you that I think you have to lay down as foundational. Number one is submission to God's will. And this, again, is, 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 is part of the difficult for each of us in our humanity because God has given all of us free will. And because he's given us free will, there is a challenge for us to relinquish that and to say that, God, you're in charge of all things. I was, I was texting a buddy of mine a couple of days ago, and he was telling me about um, his grandbaby that was lost at 36 weeks, just a, just a, a couple of weeks before delivery, um, the baby um, passed away. Uh, unbeknownst, I guess it was a blood clot in the uh, umbilical tube or uh, umbilical cord, and uh, the baby uh, went in for a, a routine, you know, um, checkup on the baby, and the baby was dead. And of course, it's a young couple. It's, it's my friend's uh, kids that are dealing with this. This was their first child, and and obviously all the 
uh, heartache and the trauma that goes with that because, you know, there was an expectation of delivery and a live birth and a, and a newborn. And, and so we were texting back and forth the other day as he was telling me these, this, this news. And I said, oh, my, I'm so sorry. And we're praying for him. We were talking by text. And uh, he made this statement. And he said, there was nothing wrong with the baby. It was just a sovereign act of God. And I thought, well, obviously there was something wrong with the baby because the baby didn't survive. But what he was saying was that it wasn't that this was something that had happened that was a situation that was in the control of the parents. It was a sovereign act of God in that God decided, for whatever reason, that this baby would not be born alive. And I thought, it's a wonderful thing in the midst of crisis and heartache to be able to rest upon that, that God is a sovereign God. And you know what, folks? We're not going to understand everything that happens. There, things in life, as you well know, are not always going to work out like we intended. But if I can always have this place of peace in my life, and you can have this same place of peace in your life, to say, God, I don't understand it all, but you're a sovereign God, and it's in your hands, and you're the God that gives and takes away, and this baby is not going to make it, but you're going to give us many more children in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what we did. We agreed together right there on the texting and the phone. We agree together that God will give them many more children, and we trust in God, and we'll worship the Lord anyhow. There is a peace that comes with that, that if you don't have this lordship issue settled in your life, you will fight those types of situations and struggle with those kinds of results that take place in your life. So the very first thing we have to do is that we have to be submitted to God's will. Now, being submitted to God's will is different than just acknowledging the sovereignty of God's will. Being submitted to it is saying, I accept the outcome. I accept the outcome. Not, not an easy thing to do, but you have to be willing to do that even before you know what the outcome is. Uh, the second thing is placing God first in your life. Placing God first in your life. Now, this is something I was fortunate in. I had, I had a good godly parents that, that taught this on a regular basis. But I can remember as a kid, and I, I find myself going back to this sometimes. I can remember as a kid that we prayed before, you know, like if my dad went to a car lot and saw a car that he, he wanted to get for the family, which, by the way, it was never the new car lot. It was always the used car lot. And I remember one time he bought a used car for my mother, and she wanted to know what color it was. He had already purchased it. And she said, what color is it? And, you know, white cars are cheaper than other cars. And I remember my dad in his positive, he's always been a very positive, encouraging person. He said, honey, they are the color of the robes that we will wear in heaven. <laughs> She's like, it's white. <laughs> He always had a positive way, you know, of presenting everything. And I, I remember as a kid when we would go to buy a car, my dad would say to the, the, the salesman, I was, you know how kids are, you get embarrassed by what your, your parents do. And uh, I, uh, I can remember my dad saying to the salesman, you know, sir, we like this car, but we're all going to go home and pray about it. And the guy was like, you know, well, why don't we just pray right here? Because they know if you leave the car lot, you most likely won't come back. <laughs> he said, well, we'll just all pray here. I'll pray. Let's hold hands and pray. My dad said, no, this is a private matter. We're and I can remember we would go home and pray. We didn't do anything without praying about it. And I thought, that's an awesome thing because 
if we would put God first in every decision that we make, I bet we would make better decisions. Just going to venture a guess that we will make better decisions if at first we say, Lord, this is what I really want. But is this what you want? Is this what your will is for us? And so that's a part, and that's just a, a little illustration, but it's a part of saying, Lord, I'm going to put you first in every aspect of my life. And what better time than at the beginning of this year, 2017, to say, Lord, I want you to be first in every aspect of my life. All right, number three, accepting responsibility and accountability. Accepting responsibility and accountability. This is part of lordship. Part of lordship is understanding that God owns it all and that we are just the managers. That's an important thing. It's it's always dangerous whenever you start to feel like that the blessings that God has put in your life are the result of your own doing. That's always a dangerous place to be. When I was in uh, uh, Bible school in Minnesota, I worked at a bank, and there was a lot of times where there was a lot of trust that was left. Uh, I was only there a few months. I was only 18 years old, and they had uh, me running the drive-through whenever the lobby closed, and uh, and everybody that worked in the lobby, the loan officers and bank managers and all that, they uh, they all went home, and it was me by myself in a drive-through, 18 years old, and I had thousands of dollars that were in my hands. Now, it is a dangerous thing for me or anybody in that position to start thinking, because I'm holding this money, it's my money. That's a bad place to be. In fact, there was a, there was a girl that was also a teller who got this idea while I was working for this one particular bank, um, Eastern Heights State Bank, which is a subsidiary of 3M. I remember there was one weekend and, and that uh, she had left, gone out of town. And on Monday when we were all there, we were working the teller line and they came in and arrested her uh, right, uh, right there next to me at, in the bank and, uh, and took her away. She had small children and, and all this. And we were like, what in the world happened? Come to find out, she had taken money out of her drawer on Friday and flown to Vegas and was going to gamble with it and multiply it and then returned back on Monday and put it back in her drawer, and then she would take the profit. Well, the only problem is that, you know, Vegas was not designed with people winning money. It's designed on people losing money. That's, you know, it's obvious who's making the money. It's the guy who owns the big building, not the guy coming in there with his, you know, his, his paycheck for the past three months. And uh, so she lost the money, and on Monday they, they audited her drawer, and, and it was obviously short, and then she lost the money. Well, uh, later on when she went through, you know, the different um, uh, programs that they put them through to rehabilitate them and all of that, and, and uh, it was her first offense and all of that, they never hired her back at the bank, but they allowed her to come back and talk uh, to the rest of us. Uh, it was a little luncheon thing that we had. And so... They did this, I guess, as a, as a part of the training, and they, they wanted her to speak to the rest of it. And she said, you know, one of the mistakes that she made was in her thinking that she started to think that her cash drawer, that money belonged to her because it was in her hands. And she said, what was wrong? She said, I had been a teller for many, many years, but I got to thinking because I was holding it that I owned it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is a mistake to think that with the blessings that God has put in your hand, you own it because you are holding it. No, my friend, you are just managing 
the blessings and the favor and the goodness of God. And we are wise to always remember it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. We had a, a great time the week before uh, New Year's when we were over in uh, the Tampa area. We were working a fireworks tent with our boys. They were, they were wanting to raise some money to pay their, their Go Pledge, which is, you know, we're starting launching here next week. And uh, they were trying to figure all this out, and, and they had pledged $30 a month, and over a year, that's $360 and, and all of that. And so they were figuring the money they made and how they were going to pay their pledge and so forth. And, and Gregory said to me, now, Dad, if we're paying our Go Pledge, do we have to pay tithes on top of that? Or do we, just, do we pay just the, the Go Pledge and then the rest of it is ours? And I say, well, tithing always comes off the top. That's 10%. That doesn't even belong to you. That belongs to God. No matter what you do with everything else, you always take the first 10% and you give it to the Lord. And he said, okay. And he figured in his mind how much he'd made in that. And he said, okay, all right, I've got that gone. Now he said, what do I do with the rest of it? I said, well, if you're going to pay your go pledge, then you pay your go pledge out of what's left over. He said, well, that's all of it. So, so we, we were talking about that and laughing. And I was sharing that with some of the staff on Tuesday. And Brother Richie said, I know how he feels. I feel that way every week. <laughs> and you know, sometimes whenever you're managing the blessings and the gifts that God has given you, it's easy sometimes to feel like, hey, you know, I'd like a little bit more for myself. But here's what we always know in serving the Lord. God can do more with the 90 or the 50 or the 40 or the 20%, then we can do with 100%. Because the Bible says, if you try to take what belongs to God, it's like bags with holes out the bottom of it. So the point in that is that there are certain responsibilities that go with these lordship principles. And part of lordship is say, God, you're first in my life, and you're first in every aspect of my life. My relationships, my finances, my, uh, my health, my, my faithfulness to you. I'm going to understand that there's a responsibility that goes with managing what you have put in my hands, all right? The fourth principle is doing God's will. One of the things that we have to do if we're going to make the Lord Lord of our lives is that we have to say, God, our desire is to do your will, not my will. Thy will be done, not my will. Of course, we know Jesus modeled this. And then finally, the fifth one that we want to lay as a foundation is simply this, personal obedience regardless of the cost. Personal obedience, regardless of the cost. It's important to lay that down at the very beginning, that God, when I say I want you to be Lord of my life, this is something that's more than just lip service. This is what, what the Lord was teaching in Matthew 7. He said, a lot of people are going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's, not, it's, not, it's one thing to say, Lord, Lord. It's another thing to live, Lord, Lord. And, and part of that is saying, I'm going to obey regardless of the cost. So here is, here is all of those five principles wrapped up in one statement. Are you ready? Here's, here's the point. If he is not God of all, then he's not Lord of all. All right, let me say that again. If he's not God of all, then he's not Lord at all. He was describing in Matthew 7 a distinguishing difference 
between what we say and what we do. And our actions and our lifestyle must confirm the fact that He is Lord. Now you say, Pastor, why is it important? Why is this Lordship issue necessary? Let's delve into this for just a moment. Well, number one is, I believe it determines the proper position of my life. You remember me saying that when you start out your day, you have to, you have to be conscious, you have to be intentional about saying, Lord, I want you to be at the, at, the, at the forefront of my day. I want you to be at the beginning of all of my decisions. You know, have you ever, have you ever bought like a, some sort of a gadget or a toy for your kid or something where it says, some assembly required? You ever had any of that? Well, those are the three most loosely used words in the English language. First of all, some is a word that's very, very loosely used. Some could mean quite a bit to one person and, and, and not much to someone else. For me, it's always a whole lot of assembly required. And when you get something, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but when you first look at it, the thought that you have in your head is, I can do this without reading the instructions. Because when you go to read the instructions, it's in eight languages, and you have to flip the thing around and around and around and find the little corner where it's in English. And when you find the little corner, the print is so small, you feel like you're reading a legal contract. So you don't even want to mess with it. And you're looking, you're like, well, it's just four screws, and it's just this and that. We can do that. We can put all that together. My father-in-law, a few years ago, we tried to do this. We bought a foosball table, and it had instructions. But we're like, we don't need the instructions. And we put this thing together. And I'm going to tell you what, when we put it all together, you had to put it kind of together upside down. And when we flipped it up, we were so proud of our assembly, except all the men were all facing the wrong direction. Do you remember that, Brother Greg? We're like, what happened? They're all backwards. They're all playing backwards. And then we flipped it over and we re redid it all. And when we turned it back over, there was some other problem. The, 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 they wouldn't go slide all the way from one end to the other end. Finally, at some point, my father-in-law with much wisdom, said, I think there's some instructions around here somewhere. <laughs> we, we finally got that thing assembled right. But you know, sometimes in, in living life, we say, you know what, I can handle this. And the Bible is sort of the instructions, you know. And we're like, you know, God, I've got this. And then it doesn't turn out right. And we go through several failed stages. And then we say, you know what, I better maybe read the instructions. What, what does the Bible say about this? Think about how much time we would save if we did this first. And we say, God, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and see what you have to say about this matter. So that's how we have to properly position ourselves. Your life has a hierarchy, just like a company that you work for perhaps does. Just like a city or, or a county does, just like a church. There is someone or something that is in charge. And then there is that hierarchy that flows all the way down. The challenge for all of us in our humanity is always taking ourself, this, this flesh, this human will, taking it out of that CEO position and putting the Lord in that position. That's always the challenge. And if we can put the Lord in that position, we're on the right track as it relates to lordship. Now, lordship forces you to determine who is in control. Lordship forces you to focus on who is in control. And it deals with the oldest sin in the universe. How many of you know what that sin is? Pride. I heard it over here. 
The oldest sin that is known to mankind is pride. It was in the Garden of Eden. And pride is what lordship deals with. It forces us to say, okay, you're going to be in charge. If you look at Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, it says this. This is the temptation that came from Satan. If you eat the fruit, you will be like God. The very first issue that the human family dealt with is who's going to be number one? Who's going to, con who's going to call the shots? We can say it that way. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a test in a lot of things. That's a test that we have individually. That's a test we have with raising our children. Who's going to call the shots? I see a, a lot of people, especially if you ever spend any time at Disney World, I, spend a, I see a lot of families where it's obvious who's calling the shots, and it's not the parents. It's the, it's the kids, boy. They are running, and they are in charge, and the parents are running behind. Johnny needs his lotion. Johnny's got to have this. Johnny's got to have that. And Johnny's way out there under the wheel of a tram somewhere, as the parents are all frustrated and fighting and, oh, we went to Disney World. Wasn't it wonderful? Now they all have to go home and go through therapy to recover from their Disney World vacation. It's unbelievable. I walk around, I say, how did they convince millions of people to spend millions of dollars to go see a mouse? And it dawned on me, this is how they do it. They get to the kids, the movies and the TV shows and I want to be a princess. I want to be a princess. I want to be a princess. And their parents are like, okay, let's go to Disney World. They drive down here and fight heat and crowds and, and all the crazy things that they go through. I doubt Disney World will ever hire me to be their PR person. But if you look around in our culture, you can see there's always that challenge. There's even that challenge in marriages. Who's going to be in control? Who's going to call the shots? There's always that power because we're dealing with human nature. And folks, it's there from the beginning. It's there from the first few weeks that a human being is alive. There is that control issue. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't ever grow out of it as it relates to your relationship with God. You're always having to put yourself in a submissive position to God's will, God's desires, and God's plan for our life. This is the test of lordship. And so lordship helps us decide who's going to be number one. Now, Peter, twice in the Gospels, the Lord dealt with this issue with Peter. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? If you've got a minute, let's turn to John chapter 13. Let me read a few verses to you. I'm going to uh, wrap this up and give you a, a way that you can test lordship in your life. And this, I know, is a much broader subject than what we just have here in the few minutes that we uh, are together this morning. But I feel like we can at least lay the foundation. John 13 and verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and lay aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What do what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. <laughs> Don't you love that old English? Peter said, saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I mean, Peter went from don't touch me to baptize me. Is that unbelievable? 
nor thou will never, oh, never, absolutely. Well, you can't have no part of me. Oh, well, then wash me all over. But the interesting thing about this is that Peter was very position conscious. But Jesus was not. He, he knew who he was. He knew what he possessed. He knew where he was going. And if you and I are in a secondary position to him, we do not have a problem being a servant to others. Let me say this again. If we can live our life with Jesus being the Lord of our life, and we live our life in a secondary position to him, Lord, I don't understand why your word says that I should do this and that in this situation, but I'm not in charge, you're in charge. So I'm going to submit to the principles of your word. That allows you and I to live a life where that principle spills over into other aspects of our life. And it's not a difficult thing for us then to be a servant to others, to, to prefer our, our fellow man ahead of ourselves. Just simple things like, you know, holding the door open or, or preferring, uh, you know, our neighbor, whether or not, you know, we're going to fight for the best parking spot. It's amazing to me around Christmas time how aggressive people get. Fighting and fussing over the best parking spot. And tis the season. Waving hands and fingers at each other and all that craziness. And what about just saying, no, I prefer my brother. It's, it's hard to live life where you prefer your brother ahead of yourself if you've not already settled this lordship issue. Because if you put yourself as the CEO of your own heart, then guess what? Everybody else, not just God, but everyone else has to also be subservient. Your spouse, your pastor, your mayor, your children, I mean everything else because of the position that you've put yourself in. Now, the problem is because of the society we live in, it caters to that narcissistic attitude. I don't mean to go psychology on you, but it's the culture that we live in. So what the Bible teaches us is countercultural. It's saying, put the Lord first. because, And this is what the Lord was trying to tell Peter. Peter, if you don't allow me to walk, then I can't have any part of you because I'm modeling what servanthood is. And servanthood is part and parcel to lordship. Have I thoroughly confused everybody? If you, you can't live a life of service, which I believe is the most rewarding life that any of us could live, until you've established the lordship issue. And this is what the Lord was trying to tell Peter. Because lordship dislodges us from the throne. Once we do that, everything else falls into place. You say, well, why is that important to fall into place? Because the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. That begins to make sense and fall into place if you'll actually put the Lord in a position of being Lord. Now here's areas that we can see that the Lord is actually the Lord or not. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It requires you confessing. So in salvation we, do, we see that. Colossians 3, 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. In everyday life, look at Romans 12, 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The best employees and the best employers are Christians that have settled the lordship issue. 
They'll go the extra mile. They're not always trying to see how much they can steal or take from a relationship or from a company or from a corporation or from their employer because they've settled the lordship issue. I mean, your whole quality of life flows from this principle if you can get lordship right. In our business, look at Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You can't do that if you've not settled the lordship issue. You can't even deal with that one specific verse. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for. You can't even do that unless you've settled the lordship issue. So these principles flow even into family. And I know all of these are separate Bible studies. Uh, lordship forces you to deal with the humanism issue. Humanism is that everything is centered around me. Even in Christian circles, we have this veneer of Christianity, but there is this underlying feeling of humanism. We treat the Bible kind of like a genie. We rub it and we, you know, we stroke it wondering, you know, if the blessings will pop out from it and give us three wishes and all that. And we want God to just sort of be like a spiritual Santa Claus. But that's not lordship. Lordship is submission. Lordship is saying, I don't understand why the baby died, but I'm going to worship you anyhow. I don't understand why I'm sick, but I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. I don't understand why I got a pink slip on my jaw, but I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow because where one door closes, another one opens, and God's got something even greater for me. Lordship is submission. It's submission. One fellow said, we need a new songbook, songs that are more realistic to our generation. Not I surrender all, but I surrender some. Not there shall be showers of blessings, but there shall be sprinkles of blessings. Not fill my cup, Lord, but fill my spoon. Not oh, how I love Jesus. We perhaps could change that to oh, how I like him if everything's going right. He is everything to me should be changed to he's quite a bit to me. Take my life and let it be should be changed to take my life and let me be. Onward Christian soldiers could be changed to onward Christian reserves. When the saints go marching in could be changed to when the saints go sneaking in. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I want to hang on to the old songs that talk about lordship and me putting everything in the Lord's hands. Amen? All right, let me close with this. And I've got a lot more here I want to give you. But I want to give you uh, what I believe is a, a, a lordship test that you can always, because ladies and gentlemen, more than anything, lordship is about trust. It's about trust. It's about saying, Lord, I trust you. And if we really trust him, if we really, really trust him, we can turn everything over to him. Now, I want to take that acrostic, T-R-U-S-T. And I want to just give you five things based upon that T-R-U-S-T that you can just, at the very beginning of this year, you can just test whether or not you truly trust him with every aspect of your life. Now, the letter T for the word trust, here's what I want you to start with. Letter T, take an inventory. Take an inventory. Every, everything in your life, take an inventory and test and see whether or not you have submitted that to God, whatever it is your finances, your marriage, your health, everything. Take an inventory of everything that's in your life. The best test of your lordship is what are you going to do with your possessions? That's the best test of lordship right there. Because that's the culture that we live in. The God of our world is affluence. So test that. 
take an inventory and say, Lord, I put this in your hands. That's the first thing. That's the letter T. All right? Now, here's the letter R. We're going down through the word trust. T-R-U-S-T. All right? Here's the letter R. Recognize God as your source. Recognize God as your source. All right? So the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to take an inventory of everything in my life. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to recognize that every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. So I'm going to recognize that God is the source, all right? Now the letter U. Understand God's principles. Understand God's principles. And that comes from these lordship laws that are found to us in the word of God as the Lord was teaching. We gave you five of those as we started out this morning. Understand God's principles. All right, you ready for the letter S? Surrender everything to God. Surrender everything to God. That's the letter S. And then finally, the letter T. Test God's promises. Test them. We, we read that when we, look about, when we look to the Word of God for lordship, we find that there were two surprises. The first one is that the Lord was surprised in Luke uh, 6, 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The Lord was surprised. But then when we look down in Matthew 7, we see the second one is that the believer was surprised. You don't have to be surprised. You can actually test God's promises. If you follow that T-R-U-S-T, you can test and say, you know what? I'm going to test you. And the Bible even says that. He said, prove me and see if I will not pour you out blessings that you cannot contain. Ladies and gentlemen, 2017 is a year of bountiful blessings, and God wants to give you more than you can even imagine. But before he does, he wants to know, can he trust you, and are you going to make him Lord of your life? Why don't we stand to our feet right now? Why don't we lift our hands? And can we commit that to the Lord right now? Lord, I'm going to make you Lord of my life, every aspect of my life. Would you lift your hands and your voices right now? In the name of Jesus.